the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. So, Aubrey, over the last couple days is the conclusion, although I'm sure there's more interviews to come and such, but there is the conclusion to that story that we talked about a while back, and that was uh, that kidnapping of the 17 missionaries in Haiti. Yeah, that story's been crazy. Yeah, from the Christian Aid Ministries. Uh, they were kidnapped, uh, you know, month, two months ago. Uh, and, and when that story came out, it was, wow, there, this has been this kind of gang in Haiti. Uh, they at one point were, um, demanding a million dollars per hostage. Mm. And you're just like, wow, what's going to be the end here? And then five yeah. of them got released like a month ago. And right. yesterday, uh, or earlier this week, two, two, all 12 hostages got released. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh, great news. There must have been, you know, a deal made or nothing. Aubrey, they made a daring middle of the night escape. Okay. This was shocking to me because I also read the headlines and thought, oh, good. Finally, they, they struck a deal or the, the ones holding them hostage decided to let them go. But then I read the same thing that they like somehow escaped in the middle of the night, eluded their kidnappers, walked for miles. I mean, th- there's an infant and children in tow, by the yes. way, doing this. And just praise be to God is all you can say. Yeah, they got out and they basically, when I watched the news report, they said they they knew which way one of the mountains was and they needed to go that way. So by moonlight, they kind of just made their way. Can you imagine trying to keep these little kids quiet? No, I and cannot. The fear. And then at daylight, they found some help who immediately got them. They got into a Coast Guard airplane and flown to Florida and they are free. Can you imagine the feeling of just even like getting to the Coast Guard and then getting on the airplane? Like you just must be like, okay, we're out. Yeah, no, I can't imagine it, although I'm looking forward to the Disney movie that I'm sure is coming down the pike here. That's going to be a good one. Uh, so as a reminder, for those of you who don't remember the story, it was 12 adults and five children, including an eight-month-old, uh, were kidnapped by a Haitian gang after they were visiting an orphanage. Uh, they threatened to kill the workers. They demanded a $1 million ransom per person. Uh, this was all the way back in October. Two hostages were released November 21st, three more December 5th. And then to uh, this week, the rest made their way to safety. So, Aubrey, the, the biggest thing is we want to celebrate, right? We want to say, okay, yes. uh, celebrate this going on, and this is good. But but I do want to spin it here a little bit. I was watching on the Today Show, and they were interviewing uh, one of the hostages who had been released back in November or December. So not one of the most recent released hostages, but one of the early ones, Um and this guy's testimony was pretty unbelievable. Mm. They, they were asking, what were you guys doing? Uh, were you praying? Or they said, we spent our days praying and singing. We were trying to show the love of Christ to our captive captors. Wow. wow. Uh, 
I, they had a posture and a perspective that was really impressive that I would like to think a lot of us would have if we were there, but I don't think a lot of us could have. You know yeah, what I mean? And, yeah. and so to hear that they actually live this out, I know we'll probably never hear what effect it had on the captors, um, right. but but that's a really impressive perspective. They still saw uh, their even their captivity as mission work. That to me is the... I don't know. There, there is something that's, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would judge them for that, but I actually think it's like the hallmark of being like Jesus. Like yeah. they decided that even, I mean, like Paul, even in chains, they're going to preach the gospel through the way they live. And I would be hard pressed. Uh, you know, it's hard to know how you'd be in a situation with the spirit of God in you and how the spirit of God might move. But I think I would be hard pressed to be singing, to be kind, to be patient. And I, it is incredibly impressive to me that one, they waited as long as they did, that they saw this as part of their mission experience, that this was an opportunity to serve the Lord, an opportunity to show the love of Jesus. And then I just think the brave, I mean, the whole thing takes so much bravery, right? Like, let's just say that they are brave, period, to add on to their bravery, this daring escape. I mean, I I am deeply, deeply impressed. Yeah, they talked about already forgiving their captors. They talk about praying for them. And they talk about their heart for the people of Haiti in general, Mm. that they are, he says, one of the... um, People from the Christian aid ministry says the Haitian people by and large are exhausted. They're tired of witnessing the continued downward spiral of their country. But then he talks about the hope and, and the good people there. It makes me think of our friends from food for the poor. Yes. They say uh, as they work in Haiti or also when Mitch album was on the other day, he started an orphanage in Haiti mm-hmm. uh, and what it can be. Uh, Aubrey, let's, let's have this, uh, one more time conversation around this story. Is it worth going on overseas mission trips into <sighs> dangerous places? Is this even something, uh, that we should be, uh, supporting yeah. and doing into the future? I mean, Brian, here's my, like, my sort of natural in the flesh response is like, nope. Uh, yes. And done. Let's just stop it all. But this is when you have to lean into your faith and you have to lean into the call of God, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, to share the love of Jesus everywhere. And so, you know, I I do think um, like an organization like Food for the Poor, they've been on the ground for over 35 years. Yeah. They have deep relationships with locals. And so I think that there's that's a no brainer. Like, absolutely. Yes. Um, I do wonder if, I mean, I'm not saying in any way, shape or form that this is the missionaries fault that they were held hostage. So hear me say that very, very clearly. I do sometimes wonder about the efficacy of short term missions if there aren't established relationships. Um, at the end of the day, though, our call is to come and die, right? Mm. To take up our cross and die. Our call is not to live a life of safety. And, and I think we can very, and include myself in this very easily forget that in our yeah. very comfy America. And so, yes, I let's keep going. Let's keep uh, spreading the gospel and mm-hmm. doing so knowing that there's great risk involved. And that's part of the call. Yeah. Like you said, safety is not our number one priority. Now, I think you make a good point that, you know, you want to not go in flippantly and be like, right. well, I'm going like a cowboy, right? I'm going into yeah. danger. No, you, you want to be prepared. Uh, I think, uh, some people are called to more dangerous places than others, I think. But ultimately, our goal as Christians is to go and make disciples of all nations, as you said. Uh, and, uh, Aubrey, I would end it this way. I would say this isn't emblematic of all the people of Haiti. In fact, they, as they right, say, the vast right. majority of people in, say, Haiti are hurting. 
They're mm, tired, they're point. exhausted, and they need Jesus. And it's all the more reason to go and to pray. So we begin by celebrating uh, the 17 missionaries released, but also being reminded, as we were by our friends at Food for the Poor, to continue praying for the people of Haiti. Well, coming up next, we're excited to talk to Dr. Tim Muehlhoff about his new book, Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Looking forward to that conversation next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And uh, Aubrey, we're excited to welcome back to the show someone we've had on before. He is the author of a new book called Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. He is Dr. Tim Muehlhoff. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. That's absolutely our pleasure. Hey, before we jump into your book and all the other things that you're doing, why don't you just introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you a little bit? Well, I'm a professor of communication at Biola University in La Mirada, California. I teach classes on conflict resolution, gender, uh, family communication, apologetics, but I'm also the co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project, which seeks to reintroduce civility back into our disagreements, both between mm. Christians and uh, Christians and non-Christians. And so we've been around for two years. It's a five-year project. And you can check out our podcast, Winsome Conviction Podcast, where we try to bring on people we disagree with, but do it in a way that's civil uh, and speak truth and love. Oh, I just absolutely love that. That's so needed right now. That's why we exist here at The Common Good. So I am I can't wait to check out that podcast. And again, we're so excited about your new book, Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Tim, give us a big picture. What made you decide to write this book? Well, my wife had a cancer scare. Uh, mm-hmm. They, they mm-hmm. found cancer while doing something else. And uh, we were going to get tested to see if it had metastasized. And of course, that's a very scary day. We were sitting in the lobby of a hospital and she was going to go two floors down with a multi-million dollar machine that was going to check every part of her body. And then we would know uh, if cancer was in other places and we could treat it. And I, I took my wife's hand and said, thank God for this machine. Yeah. And Maureen said, yeah. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't do that enough. Like I don't mm. look at things and say, well, thank God for uh, N95 masks. Thank God for uh, neurologists who treat my migraines. I I tend to over-spiritualize things and overlook God's good gifts that he gives to a fallen world to help us navigate a world that's kind of spinning out of control. Yeah, let's continue unpacking that there, Tim. You talk about uh, recognizing God's common grace in an unsettled world. Uh, how would you define common grace? Because it's probably something a lot of people listening don't ever really think about. Like you said, we kind of over-spiritualize things. So help us understand what, what common grace is. Well, Psalm 145, the psalmist says, God is good to all, and he has compassion on all he has made. And that's the key part of common grace is that God gives gifts both to Christians and non-Christians to help us navigate a world that's in turmoil and during a pandemic that's not, you know, being overly dramatic. He knows the world's going to spin out of control because we are not placing ourselves under his loving lordship. So he doesn't withhold these gifts. He says, listen, you're going to need penicillin. 
You're going to need medical technology. You're going to need a vision of virtuous communication because language can be used as a weapon against each other. So he floods the world with a multitude of gifts. When James says every good gift comes from the father of lights, uh, many commentators believe he's looking up at the starry sky and all the stars and saying these good gifts are as many as the stars that saturate the sky. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's that's so beautiful. Um, Tim, just thinking of that theme, eyes to see, how do we, I mean, I guess as both Christians and non-Christians, develop eyes that can see God's common grace? Well, there's a ton, Aubrey, there's a ton of research that's been done on gratitude from an academic standpoint, that if you train your mind to first notice the good, not not ignore the bad, that would be unhealthy. But if your mind first goes towards the good, then we know that adds to human flourishing and gives us fuller, robust lives. So Eyes to See is a quote from C.S. Lewis, huge C.S. Lewis fan, big props <laughs> to him. <laughs> nice. Uh, Lewis says, uh, you need to stop and recognize every good gift comes from God. And when you think about it that way, then the fact that you and I can do this right now, that we can have this conversation via technology, uh, that when, when the pandemic hit higher education, we all had to shift to Zoom in a heartbeat. But think about that. We could do that. We, we literally could hold our classes yeah. via Zoom. And that is a good gift from God, the technology. Yeah. So the, the book is really created for two reasons. One, for us to develop eyes to see. But then second, how do you use the idea of common grace to have conversations with uh, unbelieving friends, family members, coworkers as a conversation starter to get to things like the existence of God, who is Jesus? So uh, the book is filled with references from pop culture, uh, the history of medicine. There's some crazy uh, stories about how penicillin was discovered. Uh, totally by accident. But then in the book, I argue, well, it, maybe it was an accident, or could it be God prompting Alexander Fleming in 1920 to discover penicillin? And today, without penicillin, we'd be in the dark ages. Yes. Wow. Isn't that yes. true? Wow. Uh, Tim, you got me thinking about something there um, on that response. How is it that common grace opens the door evangelistically? Like, um, you know, how is it that 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 becomes a great avenue to engage our friends and neighbors who maybe wouldn't believe in some of the more spiritual things, but instead they, they can see around them this common grace you're talking about? How does that serve as an evangelism tool? Well, you know, one fun thing that came up when I was researching this, if you were to Google ancient inventions that changed history, uh, you'd get a pretty common list. It would be the discovery of the wheel. It'd be fire. It'd be tools, uh, you know, different things like that. So then you ask the question, what if I told you the discovery of all these tools was roughly happening at the exact same time all mm. across the world, but there was no communication between anybody? Hmm. And everybody at roughly the same time is discovering the use of fire now, how do you explain that? Is that, wow, that's really interesting that everybody was getting lucky at the same time and roughly discovering these things? Or could it be that there was a prompting from God to discover these things? Because, you know, you need fire, both for protection and to cook 
food in a safe way. And God knew that and gave it to the entire world at roughly the same time. Wow. wow. Then I say to my friends, now give me an explanation for that. <laughs> right. Like, let's kick around that. Maybe it could be evolution. Maybe it could be luck. But let me throw out a third option. And that's what I love to do to my friends is to say, but what if this was God? Mm. And that's just an interesting conversation to have with uh, my different friends. That's really good. Again, the book is called Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Uh, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff, uh, you're the co-director of something called the Winsome Conviction Project. Uh, I, two questions. Can you remind our people, tell us what the Winsome Conviction Project is? What is it that you guys are trying to accomplish? And how does it actually tie into this new book about common grace? Well, Brian and Aubrey, today we're in a crisis, not just a pandemic, but we're in a communication crisis. Uh, mm. In a time in which Americans don't agree on anything, 98% of Americans agree that incivility is a major threat to this country. 65% of Americans would say we're already at crisis levels. And 45% of Americans would say, I do not feel safe sharing my opinion publicly. And that is a communication crisis that we've got to find a way of resolving. And as Christians, we are called to be peacemakers. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. So we take that seriously at the Winsome Conviction Project. We're a five-year project. We just finished year two. And we're reaching out to people uh, that we know disagree with us, but we're trying to foster a positive communication climate to talk about important issues. We're also training the church because the church has blown up over critical race theory, over defund the police, over Black Lives Matter and mask wearing and mandates. And we've got to find a way of talking to each other. And that's what we try to do. I, I'm a communications professor. My co-director, Dr. Rick Langer, is a philosopher, but he also was a pastor for 20 years. Hmm. So he has a lot of experience on the good and bad of church dialogue. So people can check us out at winsomeconviction.com is our website where there's a bunch of resources and you can check out our podcast with some conviction podcast. And Tim, just following up on that, I, you know, this is something that Brian and I talk about a lot on the common good, this idea of civility in such a divisive world right now. Do you have any stories from the winsome conviction project of a time that just went well? Like, I think we just need some hope that we can come back to civil communication again. no, <laughs> no. Aubrey, business is good. It is very good. <laughs> no, let, me, let me give you one. Uh, there was a church where uh, they, they wanted to put on the side of their building Black Lives Matter. And you can understand that. Racial tension yeah. in our country is, is at a, a high in many ways. And one leader said, fine, that's totally fine. But can we put a sign alongside of it that says blue lives matter? Because mm -hmm. he was a former police officer and it got very contentious. And so they brought us in. We worked with both of them uh, individually and had him do a bunch of exercises. We, we feel like the preparation before you have the conversation is probably the most important part of the entire actual conversation. Mm. And so they, they did the really hard work. I commend both of them. And then we sat down and had a conversation and it, voices were raised. And, uh, but there was a real tenderness 
about I, I didn't fully understand why the hurt that has come for your perspective of race and how quickly wow. I judge critical race theory without knowing what it is, but I judge it anyway. So we felt like there were some breakthroughs and Aubrey, we can't, we can't fix the national dialogue. I mean, that is sure, so sure. far above our pay grade, but we feel like we can make a difference locally with your church, your community. That's where I feel like change can really happen. Yeah. And, and I would say that, you know, Aubrey and I are both pastors and one of the things we try to highlight on the show a lot is the need for civility, particularly within our churches. Uh, but Tim, uh, you're the expert at this. Help people understand why civility is so important now, because some people are like, no, we got to be angry right now. We got to fight. We got to fight for what we believe. Why is civility such an important thing that we have to get back to right now? Well, Brian, you're absolutely right. The, the overarching narrative shapes how you actually have a conversation. So if I feel like there's a liberal agenda that is completely taking over the United States and we've got to fight for our lives, then there's no time for civility. There's no time mm. for winsomeness if that's the narrative. Now, I can imagine some of your listeners saying, but there is a liberal agenda that <laughs> is taking over the country. We are in a fight for our lives and we don't want to minimize that, nor do we want to minimize prophetic communication where you mm. tell the truth and it can be hard. Um, but but we, we believe in what Peter said. Peter said, when insulted, this is 1 Peter 3, 9, when insulted, I do not want you to insult. Mm. I want you to give a blessing instead. Mm. And that's what we feel like is missing today. As we stick up for biblical truth, for sure, but is there a way to bless? Now, we'd have to unpack what he means by a blessing. A blessing can be simply listening to a person. A blessing can be finding common ground before you move to disagreement. Um, but going back to my book, just for a second, I have a whole chapter on communication because God knows we're in the argument culture. He understands that civility is tear incivility is tearing apart community. So here's a wild part of the book. If you take a look at the book of Proverbs, the very interesting proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue, that phrase is almost identically used by the Buddha. So hmm. Buddha says it this way, words have the power to both destroy and heal. When words are both true and kind, they can change the world. Now, what's interesting is there's no way Buddha knew about the Old Testament. It is almost impossible that he would have read this in the ancient book of Proverbs, yet he has the same kind of thinking about the power of words. Same thing is true about Hinduism. Listen to what one Hindu mystic writes. Words can comfort or hurt. It is our pride that makes us use words that hurt. Muhammad himself says that a, a goal of being Muslim is to speak righteous words. Mm. And then I could go on with Confucius. Uh, Luther Standing Bear uh, was a, a Lakota chief. Who, who virtually said, silence is the mother of truth, for the silent man is ever to be trusted. So I think what's happened is God has given a world where he knows words are going to be used to destroy each other. The book of Proverbs says, words can be like the thrust of a sword that cuts wow. people. He floods everybody with this idea of virtuous communication, non-Christian and Christian, so that everybody's getting this idea, hey, use words to heal each other, not to hurt each other. So I love to say that to my friends, that, okay, so what do you make of Buddha? 
uh, coming up with virtually the same thing. Like we're, I just love to throw that out to say, okay, let's kick this around. I don't, how do you, I mean, do you imagine what a zoom meeting was like between Buddha and an ancient Jewish writer? It's like, Hey, you froze froze for a second. What did you say about good words? (laughs) You know what? but, But this is God at work flooding a fallen world, both Christian and non-Christian, with this, these, and I have a whole section on art, art being used to disturb us, and then art being used to give us a vision of what human flourishing can look like. That's good. That's good. That new book is called Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Let me encourage you, go pick up that book. Uh, if you've got Amazon Prime, it can still get there for Christmas. <laughs> like, Go ahead <laughs> and go get that book. You can also learn more about the Winsome Conviction Project at winsomeconviction.com uh, or go to timmulehoff.com. You can also follow Tim at Dr. Mulehoff on Twitter at Dr. Mulehoff. Uh, Tim, 30 seconds. Let me ask you, how, confidence level of your Wolverines against the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> Listen, Brian, Brian, last year we won two games, two games. <laughs> We're the only unranked team in the history of the college football playoffs to be in the playoffs. If that is not a sign of God's good grace, then I have <laughs> no idea. And uh, I'm banking on the fact that God shows up dramatically against Georgia. There you go. We'll be thinking of you during that game that's coming up. We'll be thinking about you again. Dr. Tim Muehlhoff, professor at Biola University, also the author of the new book, Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Tim, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. That was a lot of fun, guys. Go Blue. There you go. (laughs) You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Advent is about the first coming of Jesus, but then it also reminds us of the second coming of Jesus. And the fact that Jesus is coming back still needs to affect our lives now. It needs to determine much of our lives now. And there was a wonderful sermon from Louis Giglio uh, and... uh, I want you to hear it. It's simply entitled, Jesus is Coming Soon. I want you to hear like the first minute of the sermon. Let's listen to that. And the thing that we can be sure of today is that Jesus is coming soon. You can be sure of it. You're like, well, Louis, how, how do you know this? Have, do you have the inside track on some astrological phenomenon? No. Then how can you say so confidently today and with certainty today that Jesus is coming soon. I can say this today. You can receive this today because Jesus told us he's coming soon. So I'm certain that Jesus is coming soon because he said so. Soon, in the biblical sense, is a relative term when used in relation to the eternal nature of the Almighty, who exists outside time and space, yet concurrently operates within the confines of finite human history as I am. Thus, the use of the term soon, as understood by the eternal mind, may be interpreted to mean promptly, as in right now. Or, to mean a future time, say, within the next 100 to 1,000 years, the latter of which, in God time, 
is the equivalent of one human day, therefore, soon. Jesus is coming soon. Albert, I think that is, is such an important concept, right? Like there's darkness all around us. There's all this craziness, but Jesus is coming back. He's told us that he's coming back soon. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour, uh, but he's told us that he's coming back. And the whole point of Giglio's sermon now becomes that that drives everything about how we live our lives now. Uh, let's talk about this as a biblical concept, and then we'll move it more practical. But biblically speaking, that is where we get our perspective, right? The return of Jesus uh, kind of is the umbrella under which much of our perspective comes. Yeah, and I think, Brian, this can be difficult to keep in mind for a number of reasons. One, I think we may not actually believe the promise of Scripture that Jesus is coming. Um, two, I, I think because we might feel like, uh, well, it's not going to happen in my lifetime, mm-hmm. so it doesn't totally mm-hmm. matter. And then I think, I'll be really honest, I think that there are people who don't want Jesus to come back. Because Agreed. then that sort of means like, one, you got to deal with your business. And two, like people like their life and they they have this feeling, which is really a wrong feeling, by the way, that like Jesus returning is going to ruin everything. <laughs> Jesus coming is actually going to like finally set all things right. And I think for those of us, who, as you get older, you begin to long for Jesus's return in a way that was maybe hard to when you were like a young teenager and you're like, no, I don't want my life to end. Well, no, your life won't end. Like your life will be what it has meant to be. Justice will finally be here. Goodness will finally be here. Like it's going to be incredible. Yeah. But I, I do think a couple things and what Louis Guglio is talking about. What that means for the Christian is we have to live in such a way. Bible talks about like our hand has to be to the plow. Like Mm -hmm. we have to realize that for the disciples, Jesus coming soon, they they really thought the return of Jesus was coming like any moment, even in their lifetime. And so because scripture is very clear that God is patient for more people to come to him, and that's why he hasn't returned yet. That's really good news. At the same time, we also know that we don't know when Jesus is coming. And we can certainly look at the signs of the times, but you know, even Jesus says he doesn't know when he's going to come back. So I think let's be really clear that no human being knows when Jesus is returning. That's right. At the end of the day, like we have to live in such a way that Jesus is returning and we have to live in such a way that like God is our king. And so let's, yeah, hand to the plow. Like, let's remember that we are here for his kingdom, not for our own castles. Let's live in such a way that there's an urgency to share the gospel, to see mm-hmm. more people come mm-hmm. to Christ, to see this world be a garden like place where people can flourish. And it can't, again, it can be so easy not to live like that because right. I don't know, you're busy watching Netflix or mm-hmm. something you know, or you're suffering or you're, but I, I do think it's a good reminder for all Christians that like, this is part of our hope, Jesus's return. And we need to live in light of that. And then I think one, I'll say one more thing, Brian, this also does give us hope. And, and so I kind of joking before about like, we don't really want Jesus to return. I think those who are suffering, Mm -hmm. those who have known pain, those who have known injustice and evil, the the promise of Jesus returning, making all things new is the best news that we can hope for and is, um, yeah, it's a, a reason for our hope to endure even when things are hard. Yeah, I, I do think part of the comfort of our of our culture in the West is that exact thing. It's kind of like Christian first world problems, right? Like mm-hmm. I'd prefer Jesus not return. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that very clearly as Carrie and I were about to get married. I was like, uh, you know, that'd be. <laughs> Jesus were to come back now, I wouldn't be a big fan of that. <laughs> and it's just it's just misguided, right? Right. Like that right. thought. 
And Giglio does go on to say uh, that this should encourage us, that like you said, there's coming the time. Jesus is coming back. Death, uh, darkness, all the stuff we see going around us will not win. And he said also that this should encourage us to share God's word. He said, everybody deserves an opportunity to hear the gospel. That's right. Skip the debate and spread the news. Go to your Mm. work, family, neighborhood, wherever you go. Become an evangelist. You're an evangelist for your people. You want to arrive in heaven as an evangelist. And that that only comes as we go, okay, uh, we can get really lost if we think there's kind of no purpose to what's going on around us and others. But the fact that Jesus is coming back, it gives us, it emboldens us. It gives us hope. It gives us perspective when life is going crazy, when things are just uh, really rocky around us. But then it also spurs us on to kind of, okay, no, with this being true, there are more important things in the world than uh, what's the latest Twitter feud or what's uh, the latest. Those things aren't bad, but they don't become uh, ultimate. So how do we grow in this, Aubrey? Is it it something as simple as just reminding ourselves that Jesus is returning? How in a comfortable culture that we live in, Mm. do we even live with this perspective and grow this in our life? Oh man, Brian, I, I, you know, sometimes, sometimes I think these things are like a work of the spirit and it's okay to say to the Lord, like, God, I wish I was more excited about you coming soon, Mm. or I wish I was living more in light of you coming soon. Can you help me? Like, and, and the spirit of God will move in your heart. And then I, I do think go back to scripture and read the disciples like fervor for Jesus's return. Go back to Revelation and read the description in, in Revelation 21 of what it's going to look like when heaven meets earth and and begin to, I think, just set your soul towards that. And then the longing will come. And right. and then again, if you're not longing for it, don't feel ashamed. Just ask the Spirit of God to move in you. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, Jesus is returning. There's a second advent that we can hold on to and look towards. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And as we all know, it is a busy time of year. The holidays, moving into New Year's. All of us are running around frantically getting all of the things on our checklist done. And uh, it can be easy to fall away from our rhythms of mm-hmm. connecting with God. And Brian, it's so great that you're a pastor because I feel like I can just ask you all the pastoral questions. And I'm a pastor too, so you can just ask me the questions. But I'm going to ask you this. What are some ways I can stay close to God during this busy season? Uh, I mean, it's the it's a huge question right now, right? Because like you said, that this is nothing if not busy. And uh, we were joking earlier in the show about instead of going on a date tonight, my wife and I are probably going to wrap presents. Right. There's <laughs> right. So much. So you said You said you're having trouble sleeping yes. uh, because you're thinking, what am I missing? And so totally. all of those are emblematic of kind of a hurried mind and just kind of stress. Uh, and so it's going – here's the point number one. Uh, it's going to take work to stay connected to uh, – to, to God in this busy season. Yes. Like it's not just going to happen. What's going to just happen is stress and anxiety uh, and all of these other things, not to mention the stress of family relationships and other things. Uh, and even also you and I were joking earlier, even our normal rhythms being gone because our kids aren't in school. Totally. Right. I I forgot this morning what time I was supposed to leave for work because usually I leave at time to bring the kids to school. And this, it's so all of that's kind of a big mixture of going, 
yeah, what do we do right now? How do mm-hmm. we kind of move forward? And, and so, Aubrey, I, I think it starts with intentionality. Okay. In all of the craziness, I'm going to turn off my phone. Yeah. I'm going to take some time without my kids. I'm going to get away and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray. Yeah. It's an intentionality. Yeah. It says, and <clears throat> what can I be reading this, this time? It, start with the Christmas story there you get go. into the gospels. This, And so uh, I guess that would be my first point. What, what are you doing right now intentionally uh, to get into the word, to get to disconnect? And then Aubrey, I would say for me, um, I'm a pastor. So, so what I'm about to say probably isn't an issue because it affects my job. But if I weren't a pastor, uh, if I were speaking to people, not in ministry, I would say as much as like, it probably sounds good to sleep in on Sunday morning, or to not go to your Christmas Eve service, mm. or to disconnect from the church. I think that now is the season where you really need that community. Yeah, you yeah. need to be sitting and singing Christmas carols with your church community. You need to be lighting those candles at Christmas Eve. Uh, it, like Now, if at any other time in the year, I think is the time to make sure you're um, – uh, you're, you're at church, you're, you're worshiping mm. with your community, because I think that reminds us of what's going on, mm. that reminds us of this season. And so it, it is a little counterintuitive, because you're probably thinking to yourself, I could use those extra right. couple hours on right. Sunday morning to wrap, to sleep in, to yeah. this. Uh, I would suggest that to connect uh, in worship with your church community during the Advent season is hugely important. How about you? What are what are some for you? You know, I, I was thinking about just the fact that you talked about intentionality. And I remember one time hearing a, a pastor, of course, I can't remember his name, but he talked about how sometimes we sort of, I don't know, we don't like the idea of intentionality. Like we want like um, our time with Jesus to feel organic and just sort of happen Mm -hmm. naturally. But he talked about the difference between being intentional with his wife and being organic with his wife. (laughs) And he he talked about intentionality as like, organic is just sort of like, oh, hey, you want to go grab dinner sometime because you happen to have a free evening. But intentionality is like, you go and you buy the flowers. You come home, you bring them to your wife. You have a night, you already have a reservation planned. Maybe you even have a stay at a hotel. Like, and he he just talked about like, intentionality is actually a very beautiful thing and rewarding to our own souls. And so I do think that's, that's the reminder. Like, you have to be intentional about carving time out with Jesus because your soul needs it. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, it's a reward for you. Like you will not regret the time you had with Jesus. You might regret the drift that happens because you're not feeding your soul with the things of God. And the the other just like practical thing I would add on, we had um, Dr. Felicia Sue Wong on the show recently. She has a new book out called Restless Device. And one of the things that she talked about that has really stood out to me is um, monotasking versus multitasking. And yes. I think that's a way to be intentional too. Like when you're praying, maybe just pray. When you're reading your Bible, just read your Bible. Don't also be on your phone tweeting about what you're reading in your Bible. And I know not everyone does that, but I know some of us are tempted to do that. I include myself in that. And yeah. so um, that intentionality to just stay focused on the one thing, that one thing being Jesus throughout, you know, just part of your day, like set aside that time is so good for your soul. Um, I will ask you that question, Brian, because over at Relevant Magazine, they published five ways to stay close to God during the busy holiday season by an author named Ann Swindell, who I actually know. I wanted to share some of these tips with you. She says what we said, start with scripture. It sounds simple, 
but it can also be very hard to read the word regularly. And she says that when she starts the day in the Bible, her heart and her mind are better prepared to respond to God's presence throughout the rest Mm. of the day. Here's Mm. what she says. It's like tying up my shoelaces before going out the door. It's much much easier to keep from slipping as I walk through the day. I feel like that's a really good metaphor. During the holiday season, when time seems short, get creative about reading your Bible if you're struggling to do so. Listen to the audio Bible on your phone or in the car. Read for five minutes before you get out of bed. You might even consider starting a special Advent devotional to help you focus on God during this time of year. Mm-hmm. Those are good. Uh, so a couple of different things from what you said. First, what are these flowers you speak of uh, when it comes to marriage? I don't know what, the, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, secondly, that's, uh, but I do think that's a good imagery, the intention. Out, if I was just like, oh, my wife and I love each other, like she'll know that and it doesn't ever require any work. It doesn't ever require... Mm. I know where that's going to end up. We're going to, yeah. because my, my bent is going to be towards, um, you know, towards laziness and comfort mm-hmm. and whatever mm-hmm. else and, and busyness and, uh, and assuming the relationship, I think gets us into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean I need to live every day with all that, you know, but, but there needs to be a balance there. Yep. And, and you're right. We do speak of like our relationship with God that way. Like, Oh, you know what, you know, I'll fit it in when I can mm-hmm. No intentionality carving out time, especially. And this is, this is what gets us confused. The, the busier you are, the crazier life is, the more intentional you need to be. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that becomes uh, super important. And so at this Christmas season, I would just encourage people, where are you slowing down? Where are you taking that time? And then um, make sure, make it a priority. Uh, and, and I think then that is going to open up to all sorts of different things now come come this Christmas season. Yeah, that's that's such a good word. A few other things that Ann Swindell says over at Relevant Magazine about staying close to God during this busy season. She also says, make time to serve. We've talked about that on the show as well. Serve Mm -hmm. in your church community, serve in your neighborhood, love people right in front of you. Pray and ask the Lord who you can serve this holiday season and then set aside some time to do so. Maybe you could do some Christmas shopping for an older or immunocompromised friend or neighbor this year. She also says, listen to truth. You can listen to Christmas carols, Christ Center Christmas music. You could listen to a podcast, a radio station like the uh, WYLL. You could listen That's to the right. Common Good. You could listen to an audio book that declares the truth of who God is. So while you're doing the mindless tax tasks that feel so busy, um, you're still like uh, feeding your soul with truth. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing she says is pause and pray when you feel overwhelmed. It is a busy time of year, period. And we are invited to cast all of our cares on God because he cares for us. I think that's That's a good, encouraging word for all of us. This time of year, a reminder to stay close to God with intentionality this busy season. Mm -hmm. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about establishing life-giving rhythms going into the new year. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And it is the end of today's show, which means we love to bring you something encouraging, challenging, or inspiring. And Brian, a lot of us are feeling so overworked and hurried and rushed this time of year. And many of us, I know, I don't know about you, but are beginning to focus on the new year and mm-hmm. new rhythms and how we can slow down and establish better rhythms for our life. Does that feel like something you're thinking about? Always. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. 
Well, Emily P. Freeman, she's an author. She's a podcaster, had some wonderful things to say about this on an episode of The Next Right Thing, her podcast. So I would love for our listeners to hear some of her words of wisdom. If you're feeling scattered in your personal life, maybe you need a practice to ground you. For me, it helps me to write in the morning just one page in my journal, start at the top, and I fill it all the way to the bottom. It's a very small journal. It doesn't take a lot of time, and the writing is really terrible, but that's not the point. Somehow, for me personally, having a page and a pen that I physically write in makes a difference for me, and it helps me to feel grounded. That's the practice that I needed. Another thing when I'm feeling scattered is it helps me to set an external timer, not just in my head and say, I'm going to sit down and read for 15 minutes. No, no. I set a timer for 15 minutes and that timer is my boss. And then in that amount of time, I'm set free to pick up a book that I want to read and read it for 15 minutes until my timer goes off. Those are two simple practices that I engage in, two life-giving rhythms that I've chosen for myself. When I look at these categories where I feel scattered and I want to feel gathered or grounded again. If you're feeling cooped up, maybe in your home life or in your relationships, maybe you need to pick a practice that enables you to have some sort of release, like, for example, something physical, maybe walking around the block. Again, my block takes me a little under 15 minutes to walk around. By the way, you'll find that I am a big fan of 15-minute practices um, because they feel approachable and friendly. So for me, walking around the block when I feel a little bit blah or cooped up, that can make a big difference. Okay, what I appreciate about that is, I mean, in my own life, I go for walks. Like, that's one of my practices that's life-giving. And I like that she says, okay, I'm going to do this for 15 minutes. She sets a timer for 15 minutes and reads a book for 15 minutes or, you know, just does something that's life-giving for her. And then um, here's my favorite thing she said was like, the timer is her boss. So she's got that time to do whatever she wants to do that is life-giving for her. And then when the time's up, she goes back to what is, you know, whatever it is she needs to. But I feel like that's a really simple uh, life-giving practice. What do you think about that? I think it's what – I, what I like about that is – the um, giving yourself a break, like I'm going to do this for 15 minutes because, um, you know, Aubrey, with our phones, with a laptop, always within arm's reach, whatever, it becomes really easy to never disconnect and never yeah. do anything life giving. Uh, it can also become overwhelming to be like, I need to go and like, you know, walk in the wilderness for two hours <laughs> and do right, whatever. Else. Right. This idea of like, I'm going to take small chunks and I'm going to get yeah. in a rhythm of doing it. And, you know, and kind of just start. Uh, you've said that before, right? Like sometimes we just have to start doing these things. So I think yep. this idea of disconnecting, this idea of small chunks and life giving things, and then getting back into the grind and then mm-hmm. taking a break, I think that's a lot more manageable and a lot more doable than um, than some of the other things that are often talked about. And but it's really to get away from the struggle of uh, I've got I've got my phone, I've got my laptop, yeah. and, and they're always there in front of me. This is what I appreciate about it, about Emily P. Freeman is she, she talks about how like we still have to live our life. So you can't like just change everything. But she actually argues that there are three movements 
for beginning to um, reignite these life-giving practices into your regular life. And so let me share these three ideas with you, Brian, and I'll just have you respond to them. The first thing she says, I think this is really interesting. She says, clear your space. So Mm -hmm. let's say you're in a, you work in an office space or you work in your bedroom or wherever. Clear the space thoughtfully, clear it physically. And part of that is just as like a reset so that you can actually see a, a diff, uh, like new space in front of you. So she says, one, you have to clear, you have to pick the space if you don't have it. And then take some time to clear that space to make it your space. She says that could even be in your car. Like maybe you're going to spend 10 minutes in your car just like breathing or listening to a song you like. But that was so fascinating to me to think about like straightening pillows or stacking the mail or putting the trash away can be a way to begin this life-giving rhythm. What do you think about that one? You know, clutter is difficult. (laughs) When when things around you are cluttered, it can be hard to like um, to get anything done because all you see is that clutter. So this is great. Clearing, have given yourself a space that relaxes you and kind of puts you at ease. I'm all for it. Difficult, but I'm all for it. Okay, so then she says, once your space is cleared, you do what she mentioned in the podcast that we played earlier. You um, can grab a pen and a paper and maybe for five minutes, start just writing down the things that are causing you concern, anxiety, or stress. But you do it on a timer. So set a timer for 15 minutes, like she said. Set a timer for five minutes if you want to and just write some things down. She says, you'll probably have a pretty hefty list. But here's what she says. These things represent all the things that you're carrying on the inside. And um, don't stress out if you don't finish the list. This is just a bullet point. It's not a narrative. But the point is to begin to identify the concerns that you're carrying. Mm -hmm. Then she says, and this is all still part of step one, clearing the space. Then after the timer goes off, you say a simple prayer. You ask God, God, what do you need me to know? And she says, this is really, really helpful because we can tend to see lists like that and rush to solutions or rush to actions, but God may have something else to show you about that list. So that's Mm. all in step one. What do you think about that? That's all in step one. (laughs) Uh, And I think that highlights why this is so good, but also so difficult because this is clearly a very organized person. Yes. This is clearly somebody of going, here's our steps. And I, you know, there might be people like me out there who kind of aren't necessarily, that's not necessarily the way you work. So I see the value in this yeah. immensely, yeah. Uh, but sometimes it takes work to get there. So I, it's great. It's great being organized. Like, did you find that a little bit? Like, wow, this is really like laid out. <laughs> um, this is very laid out. And I don't know. I'm the, I'm with you. I don't know that I necessarily need to do it exactly like this, but mm-hmm. here's what I really like. Step two. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I think this is really important. So once you have your list, Emily Freeman says, for step two, you basically look at your list and she says you name the unnamed things, meaning can you categorize your concerns? Do you see any patterns, any repetition? So for her, she realized that there were some areas of stress that she was carrying related to her family life, related to her work life. You might look at your list and see, oh, I am so stressed out about finances. I didn't even realize how much finances were on my on my uh, mind. Or I'm so stressed mm. out about this area of my life. I didn't even realize that that was the thing I keep coming back to. And what I love about being able to identify that is then you can make some really meaningful choices. Like, do I need to 
get with uh, somebody and reorganize my budget? Do I need some accountability for like my, my own health, my exercise patterns? Do I need to spend more time with friends or with my kids? Like, I think that is the important part of step two. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Like putting some action to these things. What are the steps I'm going to take? Huge. Otherwise, what's the point of all of this, right? What's the point of doing step one? It kind of moves us down the line here. Yep. Okay. And here's the final step. And this is a question that Emily P. Freeman is really known for. So of course she's going to say this, but the question that you ask is what is the next right thing? Mm. So she says, if you're feeling stress in your personal life, maybe you need a practice to ground you. This is where, again, she talked about writing in her journal for 15 minutes. Or if you're feeling stressed in your uh, marriage, maybe you the next right thing is to go to your spouse and start doing a regular date night. Go back to that intentionality that mm-hmm. we talked about earlier in the show. Anyway, she says, I could go on and on, but you get the idea. The goal of the list is not to just like have the list and then move on. The idea is to create a space to create the list, ask God what he wants to do with your list, and then make steps to do the next right thing. And if you can do that three movement practice, that'll begin adding some life-giving rhythms to your life in the new year. Yeah. Good word for all of us. Yep. Good word for all of us. Well, thanks for joining us today. Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.